take to our own personal lives, regardless of, of how long we've been at the practice of prayer. Uh, some would say, well, that's one of the things I do best, and some would say, oh, I really struggle with, with prayer. Um, and so I want to kind of wrestle through some of those things. So let's look at Daniel chapter 9. Uh, we're also going to look at Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, many of you may have heard Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a future and a hope. And, and I think often that particular verse is taken out of context. And I am fortunate enough and blessed enough today to get to use it in context. And as a preacher, that's kind of exciting to me to be able to use scripture in context, since that's what we should always do, and maybe look at Jeremiah 29 from a different set of eyes. So once we finish Daniel, I want to go back and look at Jeremiah chapter 29 and see some things that are there as well. So uh, Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery, that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by, our, by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness but because of your great mercy. 
O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. It's quite a prayer. Quite a, a wrestling. And, and two big comments come out of this very, very quickly. As he, he talks about confession of sin a lot, and he talks about who God is. But before we get there, I want you to kind of see when he starts praying this. So it says in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, and then in the first year of his reign in verse 2, I perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. So I was curious when he may have started reading this and when he may have started praying it. Uh, If we look at Jeremiah 29.11 and 29, actually 29.1, 14. I want to show you um, some of the things that are there. So if you would, find Jeremiah chapter 29. It's not far. Um, We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 29, and I want you to see some things in context. And as Daniel is is reading over this and, and praying over this, these things have been brought to his attention. So Jeremiah chapter 29, starting in verse 1. We're going to read verse 1. We're going to skip down to verse 4. And then we'll finish all the way through verse 14. So Jeremiah chapter 29, starting in verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of the hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Did you catch that? This is, this is going to be fulfilled. This is yet to happen. Daniel's life starts with a knowledge of this. This is a big deal because what's happening is God says ahead of time, hey, by the way, this is going to come and it's not going to be pretty. This is going to come and you're going to suffer through it and it is part of my plan. Now what's happening at this point is there are some false prophets who are going around saying, God's not going to do any of that. In fact, everything's good. Everything's easy right now. God, God is surely giving us favor and all of these good things are happening among us. And God is saying, I didn't send them. In fact, they're lying to you if they're telling you that everything's okay because I'm not happy. I'm not happy because my laws have been broken. I'm not happy because my statutes have been forsaken. I'm not happy because you're doing your own thing and not following me. 
So I'm going to send this upon you because I said that I would. And it's going to take 70 years. Now, Daniel starts out, as we go back to the first chapter, Daniel starts this whole adventure in exile as a teenager. Maybe late 20s, early 20s rather. But not very old. And he's going to walk through the whole lion's den thing and changing over the regime a couple of times. He's going to walk through all of that. And he's going to come to a point where he starts kind of doing the math. I asked you when we started, how many of you have been praying for something maybe for a week or for a month or for several years and, and <clears throat> varying responses on that? Daniel, I think, when, when he first goes into exile, begins to pray that the nation of Israel will indeed turn back to God. But can you imagine being in year five of that conversation, praying three times a day and at some point, and Lord, please bring about healing for your people. It's one thing for me at 37 to look ahead to retirement someday at 65. Okay, That's a long way off for me. Some of you are like whippersnapper and some of you are like, dude, you're old. And wherever you are in the midst of that, retirement seems like a long way away. Daniel's looking at it at year five and there are still 65 years left before the fulfillment of this promise. And he's praying. And maybe he stops praying that God will bring about this that he's already said because he knows 70 years has passed. I don't know. Maybe he prays for it the whole time. Maybe he waits. But the reason I brought that to you is because verse 11 is one that we like to claim in a lot of different contexts. Maybe we put it up in art in our rooms or our houses. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. And, and there's an application to that, but it's taken way out of context because what's happening is God's saying, I'm about to send the stink on you and you're not going to like it. I'm about to take you from your home. I'm about to take you from everything that you know, and I'm going to remove at least a generation in the midst of that, and you're going to be in a place you don't like among people that don't like you, and you're going to have to live. And you're going to have kids, and they're going to have kids, and go about that stuff, but in the midst of that, I'm going to be using those things to turn you back to me. But I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for a future and a hope. But that future and that hope is going to come through other stuff. And then he says in verse 12, You will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather from you all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And Daniel comes across this as he's reading whether he has this as, as a collection of letters or he has this and he starts thinking about it and God starts kind of laying it on his heart start praying start praying now for my history buffs this first year uh, when Darius is reigning and, and all these other things um this is year, some scholars say, year 67 of the 70. And some say this is year 69 of the 70. Meaning, it's not here yet. And I think there's a pattern that we can see in the, in the beginning of prayer. Most of us, I don't know about you, but most of us, if we are, are thinking about microwave popcorn, if you put the popcorn button on and it actually works on your microwave and it actually pops the popcorn sufficiently, you've got about three and a half minutes. How many of you start doing this 
at a minute 45, two minutes. And then you start listening, and you get close, so you make sure that you don't, because you don't want to burn it. And, and we, we get so impatient. I said that in the first service, that, that sometimes we, we have trouble waiting for things that are patient. It starts in the elbows. Um, fortunately, my bride's not here to get me in trouble for that one. But I want you to think through, in our world, when we begin praying, we want it yesterday. We start praying, and we go, God, I want this in my life now. I want to be godly now. I want this for my loved ones now. I know mamas and grandparents who have prayed for their children and uh, maybe their children are going through stuff and it's not pleasant stuff. And they begin praying and they say, God, please, please, please take them out of their pain now. And all the while the Lord is saying, not yet, not yet. In fact, they're going to have to go through some stuff that's even harder than what they're facing now. And the Lord is saying, not yet, not yet. And then some people get to the point where they, they genuinely pray, God, whatever it takes. I don't know if you've ever prayed that, but that's a very dangerous prayer. Whatever it takes to get them back, whatever it takes to draw them back to you. And God says, okay. And I'm reminded of the prodigal son, uh, more importantly, the, the dad of that prodigal son, who likely prayed for his son every day he was gone. He left, he goes off, and this guy finds himself face down in pig slop, which for a Jewish boy isn't the best place to find yourself. And he looks over at his snoutly friend and thinks, surely this has got to be the worst case scenario for me. Even my father's servants have it better than this. And we always hear that part of the story as Luke 15 records it. But I think what we also need to think is maybe the dad's praying. And maybe the first prayer was like this, Lord, help him to make wise decisions and bring him home soon. And then it was, Lord, it's been a long time. I pray for his safety, that he'll come back at some point. And then it became, Lord, do whatever it takes. And as that daddy began to pray his son finds himself face down in pig slop and he turns back and, and Luke 15 gives us this picture that, that the father is, is looking for his son to come home with this, this eager anticipation the son walks home with this rehearsed speech broken defiled messed up his dad sees him in the distance says he's coming and gathers up his garments and runs to him and embraces him. And the son looks different because the son has had to go through things and the father has prayed, God, bring him back. Or maybe Job comes to mind as I begin thinking about prayer and Job, before all the bad stuff happened, would be a man who would pray for his kids and he would pray in the midst of the things that we're doing. And even if they sin in the middle of the night, Lord, forgive them. And that kind of prayer, that kind of parent praying for their child became one of, Lord, do whatever it takes. And Daniel follows in this same pattern of prayer, but this time he's praying for his nation. He's praying for the people that he cares about. And 
he starts looking at it going, 70 years is when this promise is going to come, and I'm a year away. And he's not praying on the last day before the 70th year going, Lord, please deliver your people when you get around to it. But he begins to fervently seek the Lord. He begins to, to, to dig into prayer in such a way that when he gets there, he goes, we've got a year or three or four years, depending on who you're talking to. Prepare us, Lord. Now, I've had conversations, I've had conversations with people in this room, uh, with some of my students and others, who have asked me, why bother praying? I mean, seriously, if this is already planned out, if this is 70 years uh, planned out, God already knows what's going to happen, why bother praying? Has anybody else ever wondered that? If God kind of has things under control, why should I bother praying? What's it going to do? Can I change God? Has anybody else wondered that, or is it just me? Come show me. Okay, now, you're like, I don't want to be a heretic, so I'm not going to put my hand up. But these are honest <laughs> questions. These are honest things that maybe we wrestle with. Why should I bother praying if God's going to do it all anyway? Maybe we haven't wrestled with that, and now all of a sudden you've got a list of questions you're going to be asking through lunch. Um, <laughs> As we wrestle through this, I want you to think for just a moment. My prayer doesn't change God. Your prayer doesn't change God. The righteous saints who prayed before us don't change God. They line themselves up with what God is already doing. Daniel's prayer is not, God, change what you're going to do to Jerusalem because he's already said he's going to restore it. It's forgive us. We've sinned, we've fallen short, we've messed up. And over and over and over he says those things because it's his heart to say, God, line me up with what you're doing. Prepare me for what's coming next. Parents who are praying for their children or grandchildren, prepare them for what you're going to do next. Protect them from their own foolishness protect them from temptation. Those kinds of things aren't God change your ways for them. It's God these are your ways please use that on them. Not to like smite like control alt smite. Uh, not that. But the idea of God do what only you can do and prepare them to be ready for what it is you're going to do in their lives. And Daniel begins to pray. The other side that I notice about this prayer and I want to look at it in just a moment, is that Daniel starts with something very, very significant. He doesn't bring his requests first. He doesn't bring his, his, uh, his pleas and his, 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 his cries for help. He doesn't bring that first. What's the first thing he does? Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great... An awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. What does he do? He worships. If we look at the Lord's Prayer, which says, uh, Hallowed be your name or holy be your name, the Lord gives us a picture. It starts off with worship. Maybe uh, this would be something that would help you in, in learning how to pray or growing in your prayer. Uh, a simple acronym, A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. A bunch of fun Bible words. 
uh, adoration. We start with worship in our own prayer life. Now, this isn't something that you have to have a formula for, but it's one that I think is helpful in beginning to pray and that we don't just storm into the throne room and say, hey, God, here's all my requests. See you in a few hours. But we come in with adoration. We come in with praise. We come in with worship. And it doesn't have to be frilly. It doesn't have to be uh, Bible words and deeds and thou's and verilies. It doesn't have to be those things. It's, it's, it could be as simple as, oh, God, you are so awesome. Daniel starts there. Now, maybe in the King James it says, thou art were awesome or, or whatever. But you don't have to do all that. You come just as you are and you say, this is, this is how I relate to you in worship. God, you are absolutely amazing. And you just hashtag blow my mind. <laughs> now I have you. Okay, making sure you're with me. That, that alone is a great place to start. And then it moves into confession. And this idea in confession is agreeing with God that there's sin that we have to deal with. If we have a right thinking of God and his holiness and his perfection, the next step is to look at our own lives and go, wow, we fall short. And this isn't, this isn't a, oh, woe is me. It's a dose of reality that says, you know what? If you really are that great, then I'm really not saved. <clears throat> and it's not your fault. So God, I've messed up. I know what you require, and I, I miss that. And then it moves into thanksgiving, already thinking ahead. God, you're moving on my behalf. You're doing things that I can't even begin to understand. You know when the government's going to come back. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> erase that from the podcast. Um, <laughs> but there's a truth in that. We don't know when that's going to be, but we know that God is in control. And we start with thanksgiving for things that maybe not have happened yet. And then... After those things, then we're at a point where we can look out and go, you know what? My friend is really struggling, Lord. And I'm not telling you things you don't know. I'm not telling you things. I'm not giving you information that is new to you. God not, doesn't go, oh, I'm so glad you told me that. I totally forgot that Janelle was struggling through that. No! But it's at that point that we're saying, God, I'm so now not focused on me that you bring other people to my mind and I bring their needs before you not to remind you but to help them in whatever their need is to relate to you as their king and as their God. And sometimes that's Lord, this is what I want for them but you give them what's best. And it looks different because sometimes what's best for me is that I hurt a little bit so that I don't do it anymore. Parents, how many times have you said to yourself, but only touch it once. It only takes one. It's hot. And they go, ah! Perfect example. Um, a couple of days ago, we have this container of potato heads, and I told this to the Bible study earlier, that's a potato head container with other potato heads in it. It's great for keeping all the pieces together. It's awesome. Okay? In our house, right now, that's been passed down to the little girls, five and and it's on a shelf that only Beth and Melody and I can reach. And sometimes Melody has to stretch. Okay? Now, Emily comes to me and says, I want to play the potato head. And I say, no. And I'm downstairs. Well, Emily, if you've spent any time with Emily at all, know that she is probably the most independent person on the planet. And she goes upstairs, and I hear this... Hey! 
and she come, I, I don't move. I don't move. Okay, she's my fourth out of five. Uh, wipe off the pacifier. Put, I don't move. I don't move at all. I know what's coming. Downstairs. <gasps> and now it's gotten worse. She's gotten louder. She's gone that much further. And um, she, I said, what happened? Knowing. What happened? Uh, I, I, I went and got, 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 got potato, potato head. I said, did it hurt? Yes! Are you going to do it again? No! You tell she's thinking about it. And, and, and I'm, I may be telling a story on myself. I did not go, oh, baby, are you okay? And wrap her up in a hug. I didn't do any of that. Um, typical dad response, I guess. I don't know. Uh, if you're lining your parenting up next to mine, um, I don't know. But at this point, at this point, I looked at her and I said, I told you not to get potato head. I know there's only one way that she could have gotten it, and I'm pretty sure she didn't climb up on her sister to do it. So my thought was, it hurt a little bit. And I know she's going to do it again, because, like I said earlier, she's the most independent person on the planet. But she does sometimes learn from her mistakes, and as a, as a good parent, I didn't coddle her. Maybe that was good parenting. I don't know. If you need to call CPS, the number's on my phone. Um, but my thought in this was not, because clearly nothing was broken. There was no blood. There were no bruises. Um, you know, there was no reason for me to worry. And as a dad, I didn't give her what she thought she needed. I gave her what I knew she needed. And that was a reminder that I said not to do that in the first place. You wouldn't have gotten hurt had you not done that. And I think in our own life, as we think through prayer, that we begin to understand that sometimes as we pray, God's not going to answer in what we ask for. God's going to answer in what we need. And sometimes what we need is not to get everything we want. And that's kind of hard to hear sometimes. Daniel starts praying, and he prays for a while. We'll get to the next part of this next week when Mike walks through uh, there's actually a delay in the answer. But notice he starts with worship and then he begins asking, but he does this for a year. And over and over and over, he keeps coming back to the second point. Look at verse five. It says, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, and those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us. Look over, <clears throat> excuse me, look over at verse 14. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. 
O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away. Now he's moved into petition. And we walk into this idea, and he says, it's not because of us. It's not because of what we've done. It's not because of our righteousness that we can do anything. It's not because of that, but it's because of who you are. It's because of your great name that we can even bring our requests. I can remember, and even now, um, hearing people talk about prayer or reading stuff on prayer, and, and there are some people in my life who really get it, that prayer is just, you ask them to pray, and, and they pray, and stuff happens. And it's not like, wow, I look at that and I go, but I'm a Bible teacher. It's supposed to work for me, and sometimes it does, and most of the time it doesn't, because I have what I call ADD prayer. Can anybody identify? Here's what this looks like. Oh, God, I thank you for squirrel. <laughs> now, you laugh. First service, I did that. And I looked out, and sitting right there, on the cross, on the, on the beam, there was a squirrel. It was this big, and I thought, God, you have a great sense of humor. <laughs> and here I am trying to talk about prayer, and there's this perfect illustration. Because then I went over here and said, and then I start thinking about the rain. And look, there, there really is a squirrel out in the field um, playing in the rain. And, and I think, you know, if that's my prayer life, how in the world can I ever expect to accomplish anything with the Lord? Because my mind is going like this. Can I get a witness? Thank you. I'm not the only one. I'm not alone. Hi, I'm Wes. I have ADD prayer. Um, you know, here's where we begin to grow, though, because what we do is we look at the, the example of Daniel. And he prays three times a day. And it's not just at meals. And in this three times a day, maybe, maybe he's praying for himself. Maybe he's praying for his nation. Maybe he's praying for Babylon because that's what Jeremiah 29 at the beginning says to do. And he does this three different times. And he spends time praying to where finally the, the attitude and the discipline and the habit of prayer becomes something that form who he is. And we may still pray for the squirrel, the squirrels start happening less and less. I don't have this perfected. I kid you not, this morning ADD prayer life happened. And I've been at it for a while. My children, especially when they were little, all had this radar when I would try to get up and have time with the Lord. Melody was excellent at it. Okay? When she was a little one, she doesn't do this anymore, but she was little, I'd go, yeah, I'm going to pray this morning before all my kids get up. And for some reason, this little hint of sunlight comes into her room, and it's like 540, and her little radar goes off, Daddy's up. <laughs> Five minutes. Can anybody else identify with that kind of, yeah, those of you who have small children, okay, Emily, same person we were talking about earlier, she just knows. I mean, I creep down the stairs, there's no noise at all, I'm like, a chubby ninja. I mean, I just make it all the way down, and there's no sound. And then all of a sudden, five minutes into it, oh, God, this is such a great worship time. Daddy! So I understand the challenges that we face in trying to pray, to pray any kind of regularly. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you from my high and lofty pedestal how I've gotten it right. Except that there are times when I do get it right. And I base it on these kinds of things. Maybe you're beating yourself up on, I know God, but I don't pray that often. 
start the day. Start with five minutes. You can't get that many squirrels in that, that short amount of time. <laughs> and if you do, just send them over to uh, uh, Miss Kay and Phil and uh, Duck Dynasty and they'll cook them for you, okay? <laughs> start with five minutes. Start with 10 minutes. Start with 15 minutes. Oh, that's a lot of time. But then you'll grow in it. We see Daniel practicing it three times a day. And if I gave you that challenge today and I said pray three times a day for an hour every day, uh, some of you might take the challenge. And you get a couple of days in and then life would happen and you go, well, that was stupid. And you beat yourself up. Well, I can't pray that way, so I might as well give up. No, 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 no. By no means, no. Start over and don't try to get an hour in at a time. Those of you who exercise didn't go to 45 minutes on the treadmill the first time. Or if you did, you weren't going very fast. <laughs> yeah, okay. Same thing in prayer. But notice the pattern here. Adoration. Confession. Those two things alone taking time of, of drawing our attention away from ourselves and putting it on God moving into thanksgiving and then finally thinking about what is around us I have to write it out or put it on something that I'll see it because otherwise I'll forget so again I'm not coming at this having perfected it and I can tell you from personal experience of people in the room there are far better prayers than me find people who do that and learn from them it doesn't have to be flowery it doesn't have to be these and thous and verilies but begin to pray we talk about things like the government shutting down. We talk about things where maybe our family members are going through things and we don't know what to say because we've already said it. Daniel prays for a year for the fulfillment of God's promise. Again, not to change God, but to prepare his own heart. And I'm sure he ran out of words, but it's an idea that we persevere in prayer, that we keep pushing, that we keep going, not because we're trying to change God, but because we haven't seen an answer yet. Does that make sense? I don't want to give you a formula. I want to challenge you to pray with your personality and the way that you relate to God. <clears throat> and then I want to challenge you on those days when you just forget, or it's been a while, to start over. And maybe you're one and I know there's several who, okay, thanks for the shot in the arm. I do that all the time already. Surround yourself then with people who may not be doing it, not so that you can be better than them, so that you can begin praying together. If you need some specific things to pray for, look around. This place and this, the influence of this place on our community, those who are leading, those who are serving, um, those who are handling your children right now. Unfortunately, Emily's not here, so there's no shouting over on the other side. No, I'm kidding. She's not bad. Um, all the time. Um, the way to become people of prayer is to begin making it a practice. And you don't have to start with a whole lot. Daniel gives us an example, and I want to just simply lay it before you. I'm going to challenge you. So let's do that together now.